All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. You guys are awesome. It's a great day. So today, uh, we're going to start something new today. We're going to begin uh, our study in the book of Luke. And the theme for our study is this, Jesus, do you know him? Jesus, do you know him? So uh, let's start with a favorite video we show about once a year, Jesus, do you know him? Let's watch. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. 
Amen. The book of Luke, the book of Luke out in the lobby, there are journals that look like this inside. On one side is the scripture, on the other side is a blank page with some lines to take notes. So those are free, and then on, the, on most of the seats, <clears throat> a booklet like this, uh, message outlines, and also uh, Monday through Friday, some devotional kind of questions, some, some reading suggestions. Uh, these are both free, but it... It dawned on me that when I thought about saying these are both free, that uh, they're both free, but if you read the Scripture and you study the Scripture, it may cost you everything. Think about that for a moment. Our theme verse, Luke 19, verse 10, for the whole study of the book of Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And our overarching question, Jesus do you know him? And here's the goal, to know Jesus in a deeper way so that we can love more authentically and live with an adventurous faith that changes the world. Now, uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, you may have heard of that organization. They have a mandate, their mission statement, know Jesus and make him known. Know Jesus and make him known. In 2001, we went on a mission trip with the youth, the youth ministry. We traveled to Mexico, uh, the city of Cancun. And this is a picture of some of the students. Uh, anybody recognize any of those students? No, that's okay. Uh, Katie Proctor. So you know Karen Proctor. Katie Proctor's the young lady right there in the center. Uh, looks like she's trying to eat an ice cream cone, but she doesn't have one. They're doing a drama. Uh, on, on your left, way over there, that's Tara. 2001, so 18 years ago, so she was in high school. On the right, Rachel Foote, and then uh, Jake Proctor is the tall guy behind Katie. Anyway, so why am I showing that you this? I'll tell you why. Make Jesus known. We want to know him deeper. They were performing a drama, and what we would do, we would go to these open-air markets, where people gathered, and um, a bunch of Caucasian teenagers from the United States was just an attraction. We'd turn on music, we'd do some skits, and we'd do some puppet shows, and we would talk to people, and a crowd would form, and then some of the students would share testimonies, and then the gospel would be preached. And so Katie was involved in this drama, and right after this drama was over, <clears throat> we handed her a microphone. I mean, she knew we were going to hand her a microphone. We didn't just say here. And uh, we handed her a microphone, and she began to share a testimony. And she's just doing an awesome job just sharing about how Jesus has changed her life. And then the sound system died. And Katie looked at me, and I looked at Katie, and she put the microphone down, and she just started, I don't want to say shouting, but talking very loudly, and she was energized, and she just continued to share her testimony without the sound to this crowd, probably two, three hundred people gathered, and it was fascinating because the people couldn't hear her that well, so what did they do? They leaned in, leaned in closer, and they stopped moving around, and they listened more intently, and 
Katie stepped into that moment. She stepped into that challenge to share the gospel because we'd been preparing all week and, and for weeks ahead, preparing back here to go on this trip. And, and so here's our challenge. When we step into this moment to know Jesus more so that we can make him known through authentic love and adventurous faith. When we step into this moment, this opportunity to study the book of Luke together and understand Jesus more, know him in a deeper way so that we become more loving and more adventurous in our faith. So we're going to study the Gospel of Luke in sections. Uh, who knows how long it'll take? It doesn't matter how long it takes because it's the Word of God. Amen? So we're going to study the first chapter of Luke over the next six weeks. And our title is Getting Ready for Jesus. Okay, I want to do a quick poll. When, you, when you're uh, getting ready to go somewhere that's really important, how many people take 15 minutes to get ready? Okay. Half hour? Well, 15 or less, okay. Yeah, I know. Some people just roll out of bed and wing it. Okay, an hour? Any, take an hour, it's really, yeah. Anybody past an hour? And it's okay, right? We want to get ready when we're about to do something important, right? And I'll be honest, most of the time it's like, take a shower, do this, I'm out the door. When I was in the military and it was something important, man, everything had to be perfect. I'd take a half hour to iron my shirt and my pants. Everything had to be perfect, right? So depending on how important we think something is determines how ready we want to be. How ready do you want to be for Jesus to do a mighty work in your life? And so we want to get ready. Get ready for Jesus. As we desire to know Jesus in a deeper way so that we can live with authentic faith, our authentic love and adventurous faith, we need to get ready. We need to find out more about Jesus. We need to find out more about Jesus. No matter how well you think you know Jesus, you can know more. So today we begin with the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. And as we study these four verses, here's the question for the day. What am I certain of? <laughs> What are you certain of? I want you to think about that. Okay, at this time, Wendy Booth's going to come up, and she's going to read the Word of God. This is the most important part of the message. No pressure, Wendy. Sorry, I have an NIV version Bible, so I have to read off my Bible app. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Thank you, Wendy. So the Gospel of Luke is about real people. As Luke introduces his Gospel, 
gospel about Jesus, the first thing we should see is that this gospel is about real people. First and foremost, the main person discussed in Luke is Jesus. Jesus was and is a real person. Jesus, God the Son, left his throne in heaven and became a human being. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to a young virgin girl named Mary. He lived a sinless life and was crucified on the cross to pay for the sin of the world. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he's sovereign king over the whole universe. I love when I see on the news, you know, the the astronomers, they find a new star, or, or while the latest thing is there's some, there's some uh, 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 galaxy, they call it the fireworks galaxy, because there's all this stuff going on. And I, every time I read that stuff, I go, God is so amazing. He created all of that out of nothing. Do you know him? Let's get to know him more. Now let's look at the other people in the Gospel of Luke. These are living, breathing people who have hopes, have dreams, they have struggles, they have trials. And they're real people. So Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke is a Gentile name, which means Luke was not Jewish by heritage, or by background. He didn't, go, he didn't grow up going to the synagogue. He didn't grow up keeping the Sabbath or, or reading the Old Testament, what we'd call the Old Testament. They would call the Torah. He didn't grow up waiting for the Messiah. He also didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus. He didn't grow up going to church, meeting with God's people, reading God's Word. So he's a Gentile. He's also a medical doctor, so he's educated. He was trained in medicine. He studied. He was a smart guy. Luke is humble. He doesn't even mention himself at the beginning of the gospel. He doesn't care if we know all about him. He doesn't care if we know anything about him. In fact, there's not much information you can find about the life of Luke. What he does want us to know is all about Jesus. So Jesus, do you know him? Now here's a question for us to think about. Luke, he didn't care about himself. He just wanted everybody to know Jesus. How about us? As we live our lives, do we want people to know who we are? Or are we more concerned about them knowing who Jesus is? Now we know Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He's not an eyewitness to Jesus. He never met Jesus in However, Luke is a faithful friend and a colleague to the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. At one point, when Paul is in prison for the second time, Luke is the only one to stand by Paul's side. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes this about his friend Luke and some other people. He says, do your best. He's writing to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me. For Demas... In love with this present world has deserted me. How would you like to be the guy in the Bible that's described like that? Demas deserted Paul, and he says, and he's gone to Thessalonica. And then he says, 
Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Luke is the only one who stayed to care for Paul while he was in prison. Luke was living out exactly what Paul had taught him. In Galatians, Paul wrote this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill, so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what Luke was doing. He was bearing Paul's burden and he was fulfilling the law of Christ. That's the kind of friend we would all like to have. And that's the kind of friend we should all be. No one stands alone. So what do we know about Luke? He's a Gentile, medical doctor, a humble follower of Jesus, and a faithful friend to one of Jesus' apostles. And he writes the Gospel of Luke so that a man named Theophilus would have certainty concerning the things that he'd learned about who Jesus was. So let's talk about Theophilus then. Most excellent Theophilus. What a great title to have. How'd you like to go to school, Brendan, and everybody call you most excellent Brendan? It'd be weird. (laughs) Theophilus. He's the initial recipient of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Let me tell you a little bit about what we know about the the end of the book of Acts. Paul uses, uh, Luke writes, uses the title Most Excellent three times, and it's referring to Roman, uh, Roman political leaders, Roman governors. And so this, this tells us that Theophilus probably was a Roman governmental official, educated, probably wealthy, had position and power. And he's also a Gentile like Luke. Theophilus is not a Jewish name. He didn't grow up reading the scriptures. He didn't grow up worshiping God. But he's probably a new follower of Jesus when Luke writes the book of Luke. And interestingly enough, his name means lover of God. So his parents who weren't believers, who were Gentiles, named their son lover of God. That's pretty cool. So here's this wealthy prominent, affluent, significant man who becomes a follower of Jesus and he wants to know Jesus in a deeper way so that he can live with authentic love and adventurous faith. But you know, there's a lot at stake for Theophilus if he follows Jesus. He could lose his position. He could lose his power if he follows Jesus. So he wants to be certain of the truth about Jesus. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I belong to Jesus? Am I willing to go public with my decision to follow Jesus? He wants to be certain. What are you certain of? Do you really believe in Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you willing to lose your job for Jesus? There's a lot at stake for Theophilus. And so Luke wrote this gospel so that Theophilus would be certain about Jesus so he wouldn't fall fall into temptation concerning his position and power. He wouldn't put his position and his power ahead of his relationship with Jesus. 
And so what are we certain of? What are we certain of? Now Luke also mentions eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. You know, when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, he didn't sit down one day and say, I think I'll write a book about Jesus. All right, Holy Spirit, tell me what to write. No, Luke traveled around Israel and met with the eyewitnesses. He met with people who actually saw Jesus. I know that when when folks travel to Israel and they come back and they share their stories, it's always amazing to hear the stories. We went where Jesus preached. We went where Jesus walked. We went where Jesus was crucified. But Paul's talking to people who didn't go to places where Jesus was. He was talking to people who was, were there when Jesus was there. They were eyewitnesses to what Jesus was doing and teaching. They saw Jesus heal the sick and raise people from the dead, feed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. They saw him love people with compassion and grace. They heard him explain the Torah. They saw him claim to be the Son of God. They saw him crucified. They saw him after he rose from the dead. Some of them saw him ascend into heaven. They were eyewitnesses. And Luke talked to the eyewitnesses about what they saw. Can you imagine those conversations Luke had with the eyewitnesses? Hey, Peter, what was it like when you walked on water? Maybe you met with Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, and said, now, guys, you were Jesus' brother. Everyone says he lived a sinless life, but really, like all the time, your brother never sinned. Jesus never made a mistake, ever. I wonder if he asked Joseph this question. What was that moment like when the angel told you Mary's baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit? And I'm sure that Luke asked this question, although he doesn't record it. Joseph, what was it like changing God's diapers? I wonder if Luke was able to talk to the shepherds who heard the angels and met Jesus when he was a baby in a manger. Luke says he followed all things closely for some time past. Luke spent perhaps years gathering information for his book from eyewitnesses and from ministers of the word. Real people who knew Jesus. And so Luke, a real person, wrote a book for Theophilus, a real person, based on the eyewitness accounts of real people who knew Jesus. But there's another group of people who are part of the book of Luke. And that would be us. We're part of the book of Luke. We are receivers of the word. When we read the gospel of Luke, we're receiving God's word written by a real person 
who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it was written based on the testimony of real people who knew Jesus. And it was written to a real person who wanted to be certain of what he believed in Jesus. So when we read Luke, God is communicating to us through real people. God is communicating to us through real people. And if you're a follower of Christ, someone probably shared how God worked in their life to you. And God worked through them, communicated to you through them. And we get to do that as well. God works through us to communicate to others. And so we can think of the Gospel of Luke this way. That it's a love letter to us from the living God. And we get to read it. We get to read this love letter. That's a pretty good love letter right there. Not too long. Not, some of Betsy's love letters were that long to me in college. Some weeks I get three or four a, a week. Okay, so if you're young, you're like, what's a, what's a letter? We didn't have email even. It was like you wrote it out, you put it, you know, the envelope, stamp, okay, anyway. Yeah, so this is a love letter. This is a love letter to us. And love letters never get old. Now, think about this. This is, this is amazing. It's amazing. The longest book of the New Testament, the book of Luke, longest book in the New Testament, is written to one person. Now, does God love the world? Yes. Does he love our nation? Does he love all the nations? Yes. Does he love all our communities? Yes. But above all, God loves individuals. Now think about this. God went to great lengths to actually have one book of the Bible given to one person so that one person could be certain that what he believed about Jesus was true. And God goes to those same lengths for us. He does it in different ways. Well, I have a book in the Bible named after me. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it's true. No, I'm named after the book in the Bible. But God goes to great lengths to meet each of us right where we're at. So that we can be certain of the truth about Jesus. So in the Gospel of Luke... This love letter, we see that Jesus loves us. And love letters should never get old. We can't let the temptations of the devil and the deceptive philosophies of man crowd out what God is saying to us in this love letter. Now, when we read Luke, we're reading history. We're reading a historical account about Jesus based on eyewitness testimony. It's not mythology. It's not fantasy. It's not a children's story. Luke followed all things closely. So Luke, Luke in his present, looked into the past so that he could write about Jesus and proclaim the truth about Jesus so that we all could have a better future. And Luke tells us that the book of Luke is about things that have been accomplished. So after years of investigation, Luke writes his book in about 62 AD. 
about 30 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It says Luke followed all things closely. Luke did this thorough investigation. His book is fact and not fiction. Luke tells us that the things that were accomplished were recorded by others in narrative form. So Luke takes these narratives and he takes eyewitness accounts and he puts it, puts it into an orderly historical account about Jesus. And the, so the book of Luke is history. And one of the ways we know it's true is to check the historicity of the book. I'm getting a little academic here, so bear with me. Historicity addresses the reliability, the credibility, and the accuracy of a historic account. We can't get into all that today, but I want to give you a quote. I want to give you a question, a fact, and then a quote about the historicity of the book of Luke. Here's the question. When you read anything that's historical, whether it's a week old or a year old or a hundred years old or a thousand years old, what test do you use to determine if it's true? And then the second question is, do you use the same test for the Bible? That's a question for us and for the people we engage with in spiritual conversations. Time I had years ago, I had a student come and tell me something. Uh, you know, Tim, this is true. I don't even remember what it was. And I said, "Well, where, I don't know. Where'd you hear that?" And he said, "It was on uh, News Center 19. It was on Channel 19 News." And I said, "Well, that doesn't mean it's true." Oh yeah, they never lie on Channel 19. So that was his test. If they said it on Channel 19, it must be true. What test do we use? What test do we use when history is made either in the present or we read in the past? What test do we use to determine if it's true? See, a lot of people use one test for everything else, but a lot of people look at the Bible and say, oh, that's an old, dusty book, so it can't be true. But they don't use that same test for anything else. They believe pretty much anything else they read. So what test do we use? Here's the fact. One fact on the historicity of the New Testament, which Luke is included in. The New Testament is the most frequently copied and most widely circulated book of antiquity. So not talking about today, but thousands of years, a couple thousand years ago, the New Testament was the most widely circulated book of antiquity. Today, there are almost 25,000 surviving manuscripts of the New Testament from antiquity. And the book of antiquity that comes in second is Homer's Iliad. Has anybody actually read Homer's Iliad? Yeah, that's an awful book. Take a guess. How many original manuscripts are there of Homer's Iliad, which is a classic read in many high schools today? And, uh, well, maybe not so much today, maybe uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Take a guess. How many original manuscripts? A few. Nobody knows. 643. 25,000. 
643. But historians will say, oh, the Iliad, true, the Bible, false. What test do we use? So that's one fact of many. But I want to give you this quote. It's by John Warwick Montgomery. He's uh, one of the foremost living apologists for classic biblical Christianity. And he said this, To be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament books is to allow all of classic antiquity to slip into obscurity. For no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the New Testament. What that says in English is this, If you don't believe the historicity of the New Testament, throw all the books of antiquity out. Because if the New Testament isn't true, none of those are either. So this is a real book about things accomplished by Jesus, and it was written not only for Theophilus, but also for us. And the purpose of the gospel of Luke is so we can be certain about Jesus. Is it really important to be certain about Jesus? Does it really matter if we know Jesus? Well, hopefully you're saying yes quietly in your heart since nobody said it out loud. (laughs) Here's why it's important to be certain about Jesus. Eternity is at stake. Think about this. God the Father thought it was so important for Theophilus to be certain about Jesus that first he sent his son Jesus into the world not to condemn Theophilus, but in order that Theophilus might be saved through him. And then he inspired Luke to spend years of his life talking to eyewitnesses, gathering research, and then inspired by the Holy Spirit, write the book of Luke and and send it to Theophilus or give it to Theophilus so Theophilus could be certain that he was saved by Jesus. That's a lot of work God did to make sure one man knew Jesus. Eternity's at stake. Certainty about Jesus leads to eternal life. Because if anybody is certain about who Jesus says he is, they will most likely surrender to him. Eternity is at stake. Also, truth is at stake. I'm sure everyone's seen this bumper sticker. If not, it's on my car. Just kidding. Just kidding. I was just seeing who was listening. Right? What's the message of this bumper sticker? That all religions can exist together and it doesn't make a difference what you believe. But that's simply not true. The Apostle Paul, talking about Jesus, writes this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, highly exalted Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. See, there comes a day when when it all goes away except the cross at the end of the word of coexistence. 
And we don't declare that ever in any area or any pride. We declare that with grace and compassion that those who don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus. They would know the truth and the truth free. We must never become arrogant because we're saved and will spend eternity with it should make us more broken for those who don't know Jesus. So certainty about Jesus gives us clarity about the truth. And not just about eternity, but truth about relationships. Truth about priorities. Truth about identity. Theophilus, when he learned the truth, and he knew he had eternal life, I'm sure it changed his view of position and of power. And so eternity is at stake, truth is at stake, also life itself is also at stake. John wrote this in John 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So when we are certain about Jesus, we will then really experience life, abundant life, filled with peace and purpose and power from the Holy Spirit. And our circumstances won't control our lives. Our relationship with Jesus will control how we respond to our circumstances. And finally, love. Love is at stake. The Bible calls followers of Jesus to love others the way Jesus loves us. But if we're not certain about Jesus, we won't be able to love in that way. Our love won't be unconditional. Our love will be conditional. Our love will be self-serving. Our love will be short-lived. Only when we're certain about Jesus can we love the way Jesus loves. So much is at stake. Much is at stake as we pursue and renew our certainty about Jesus. Love is at stake. Life is at stake. Truth is at stake. Eternity is at stake. It's all at stake. So how certain are you of Jesus? Let me challenge you with this test. In a quiet moment this week, ask yourself this question. Does my life match my message? Does my life match my message? Does the way I live my life reflect what I say I'm certain about regarding Jesus? Lord has shown me this week one of the, one of the privileges, one of the challenges of sharing messages like this um, on a regular basis is that I first have to apply them to my life. And when I ask myself that question this week, does my life match my message? The Lord's like, there's some places in your life that your life doesn't match your message. Your message doesn't match your life. And so I know I need to know Jesus more deeply so my love can be more authentic, my faith can be more adventurous. And so ask yourself that question this time. Does my life, Lord, does my life match my message? So as we go through the book of Luke, particularly Luke chapter 1, 
We want to pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus so we become more and more certain about who he is so we can be more and more certain about our response to the people and to our circumstances in the world. Let's know him deeper so our love is more authentic and our faith is more adventurous. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you went to such great lengths to touch Theophilus' life. You sent Paul on this journey of discovery and research so that he could write a book inspired by your spirit to give to Theophilus so that Theophilus would be forever sure of his salvation, forever sure of his relationship with you. And Lord, I know you love every person in this room, in this building, in this church family, just as much as you love Theophilus. And so in different ways, you're doing that same thing for each one of us, and you're doing that same thing for the people in our lives that we love, and the same thing for the people in our lives that we have trouble loving. Lord, you are at work. And so, Lord, we want to know you deeper so that you can not only work in us, but also through us so that those people who are like Theophilus who didn't know you or who are uncertain can come to know you. And so, Lord, would our lives reflect our message, the message of the gospel. And Lord, would you help us know you deeper so that our love becomes more and more authentic and our faith becomes more and more adventurous. Lord, we're going to step into a new week now, and we know we need you. And so, Lord, direct our steps as we walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.